Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Before I left for vacation, I talked about being motivated to serve. That was lesson one. I want to pick it up. Lesson two, being motivated to serve. And I'll just a quick, give you a quick review before I continue on. But before I even do that, I just want you to notice that in your bulletin there, at the, on the first page, there is a vision statement and a mission statement. Our mission statement stating the fact that our mission is to get the lost saved, number one. Get the saved established, number two. To get the established trained, number three. And the trained sent out to do the work of God, number four. And our vision is, we want to see everyone come to know Christ as Savior and Lord of their lives, to know and experience the love of God, and also to become a productive, fruit-bearing branch in the vine. And I believe that our purpose for being a New Testament church is both. Internally and externally. Ministering to the needs of people. Internally and externally. Get them saved, established, trained, and sent out. Look in the book of Colossians chapter 2. Just to show you what I mean about being established. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. Have you received Christ Jesus as Lord? Yes. Notice, walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith. In other words, you don't just come and get saved and then that's it. You come and get saved, yes. And then you walk in Him, you're rooted and built up in Him, and you're established in the faith just as you were taught, overflowing with gratitude. The gratitude is what? He saved us from a fate that's unthinkable in the lake of fire, did He not? Right, so now that I've come to Him, I want to be established in Him. I want to be rooted in in him. How do I get established? Remember Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1 talks about the fundamental principles of the doctrine of Christ. Every one of us should be aware of what they are and embrace them and then be taught. And then as we continue in our walk with the Lord, then we're trained or we exercise our senses to discern both good and evil. We train ourselves to walk with God, to walk in Christ, to walk in him, to walk in love, to walk and live by faith, etc., etc., Ultimately, so that we can become what? Productive, fruit-bearing branches in the vine. God is looking for people to serve Him, to walk with Him, to honor Him with their lives. He doesn't just save them to be a couch potato. Right? He saves them to serve Him. Look at number one in our review. Saved to serve. I'm not going to put these up. I'm just going to we'll quickly go through them. He saved us to serve Him. Why? Because we're serving someone's or something, no matter what. Who we are. No matter what. You as a person will serve someone or something. So he saved us to serve him. Not the devil, not the world, not the flesh. 
Remember, let my people go out of Egypt. Why? That they might, what? Serve me. Guess what? You can serve the flesh by just doing nothing. The flesh will take you down its own path, won't it? Absolutely. Have its own way. So God wants us to do what? Serve him. Serving, number two, is a matter of the what? Of the heart. We're to fervently, from the heart, serve God. And I'll be honest with you, if we're not doing something to serve God, then something's wrong with the heart. Because when you get saved, there's a fire burning in your soul. When you get saved, there's something on the inside of you at the very beginning that tells you, you've been saved to serve God. When I first got saved, I was a ball of fire. You couldn't keep me out of church. You couldn't keep me out of my Bible. You couldn't keep me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, witnessing for Jesus. I was telling people crazily that they were going to hell. And then I wised up. He that wins souls is what? I got wise. That's not how you catch them, right? Not with vinegar, but with honey. It's the love of God that brings people to repentance, right? Okay, so number one, I'm saved to serve him. Number two, it's a matter of the heart. If I, my heart is right with God, I want to serve God. Number three, it's a major purpose of life. All the time people are saying, what's my purpose in life? I need to know what my purpose is. And they're talking about, am I a doctor? Am I a lawyer? Am I a teacher? Am I this? Am I that? No, no, no. Wait a minute. It starts right here. Your major purpose in life is this. The scripture says you haven't begun to live until you realize that your major purpose is to serve God. That's your major purpose. That's why he brought you out of the realm of darkness. And remember this. His kingdom is eternal. This world is temporal. But that is eternal. Anything I do and everything I do for him has eternal implications. And so thank God we can serve him and be blessed eternally. Okay, number four. Christ's example. He said himself, the Son of Man has not come to be served. I came to serve. What an example he set for us. Think about it. The second person of deity robed himself in flesh, took on the form of a servant and was obedient to death, even the death of the cross. And so the second person of deity humbled himself to that degree that he said, I'd rather wash your feet than have you wash mine. What an example to follow. And then the next one, it's the best way to use our freedom in Christ. The Bible teaches us that we've been saved for freedom, but not being free to serve ourselves or the lusts of our desires of our flesh, but to serve the one who saved us. That's why we've been freed. It's the best way to use our freedom. We're free to serve him. And the next one, if these others don't strike a bell, then this should. Reverence and godly fear. I know it says bodily in there. That's a mistake. It's godly fear. Reverence and godly fear. Why? Our God is a consuming fire. I thank God for the sight of God where he loves us. And I thank God for his love, mercy, his grace, and his tenderness, his loving kindness. But he's also a holy, righteous, and just God. Right? And he's a consuming fire. And so it's important that we recognize the fact that we're serving someone who has the power to destroy both soul and body in hell. Right? Isn't that what Jesus said? Don't fear man. Fear God. It's a holy fear. It's a reverential fear. But yet it's a fear that should rise up within our souls, knowing the fact that he is a holy, righteous God. Like Isaiah, when he saw him high, lifted up, 
That fear was a powerful motivation in his life. Got on his knees before God. You don't have to have anybody tell you to worship God when you see his presence like that. Bowed right before him. Loved him, honored him. And of course, he recognized his shortcomings and God took care of that as well. Then you've got the reward. Next one. Aren't you longing to hear those words, well done? See, sometimes I think we think of those first two words, well done. And we don't put as much emphasis on thou good and faithful, what? Servant. That was meaning someone who was actively serving him with his or her life. Well done. Don't you want to be a well done Christian? Don't you want your Christianity to be well done? Amen. That's what he wants us to do. To serve him fervently from the heart in one way or another. And then also there's the secret to greatness. We talked about that for a little bit. Jesus told his disciples, you want to be great? They were vying for the position of greatness. Who's going to sit at your right hand? Who's going to sit at your left hand? He said, look, you want to be great? Be a servant. Because the one who serves is the one who's greatest of all. Isn't that what he said? So there's a, a reason for us to serve him. And then love and gratitude. Peter, if you love me, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. In other words, if you really love me, then you'll do something. You'll serve me in one way or another, the way I tell you. Remember he told Peter, what does it matter to you what I've asked John to do? What I've asked John to do is between John and me. You feed my lambs. You feed my sheep. You do what I ask of you. And you'll get your reward for doing it. And then finally, is to promote unity within a body of believers. Every body of believers should vie for unity. Unity and harmony with each other. Why? You see, when you realize you can serve each other in harmony and unity, it opens up the door to God's greatest blessing. Psalm 133 makes that very clear. That's where the blessing lies. But remember this. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul said it this way. The head can't say to the foot that I don't need you. No one can say to the other person, we don't need you. We need one another in the body of Christ. Why? Because we all have different gifts, talents, abilities, different anointings, equippings, etc., etc. And we all need one another. Just as the body needs every body part to function properly, we need one another to be in the place where God wants us to be and do what he would have us to do so that we can have the fullness of God's blessings manifested among us. Amen. And so serving the Lord is extremely important. And these are some motivations as to why we should serve the Lord. And we could just, like I said, take it home, study it, go over it for yourself and ask yourself, what am I doing to promote this unity or promote the, the move of God, the blessing of God in our assembly? As we continue our study... I want to discuss some of the excuses that we all make and that we all have, and not in a negative way, but in a positive way. Because I believe that many people feel as though that, well, I don't have anything to offer or you know, they have low self-esteem or low self-worth or something like that. Uh, for example, let's just take someone like uh, Moses. Remember Moses? Moses, uh, when God told him to bring the people out of Egypt, he said, um, I can't speak. And what did God say to him? Who made your mouth? Who made your tongue? Your perspective is wrong. 
If I want you to do something for me, I'll anoint you, I'll enable you, I will equip you. But I want, what I want you to do is listen to what I'm telling you to do and do what I ask you to do. So what is it? I want you to bring my people out of Egypt. I'll take care of the rest. You just be a willing, available individual, a servant. And then you've got, besides him, you've got the Israelites. Remember the Israelites and when they came to the promised land and they said, we can't do this. See, they didn't see themselves as being equipped enough to do it because they were looking at themselves thinking that it has to be my ability to get me in there to serve God. God wanted them to serve him in the promised land, not out there in the wilderness. And what a fiasco that was. They all lost their lives there in the wilderness like they said they would. But the point is, they didn't see themselves as being capable of doing the right thing for God so they could get in. And so they allowed how they saw themselves, the low self-esteem, we, the incapabilities that they had. We're like grasshoppers at their side. We can't do this. We can't do this. Joshua Caleb said, yes, we can, but they were going to stone them. So we've got reasons and excuses why people kind of decide as to why they can't really do something for God. But then you've got Jeremiah. Jeremiah, he said, I'm too young and immature to do something for the Lord. So we're going to look at some of these excuses and maybe explain a few of them and then go from there. Number one. Look at Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. This is from the New Living Translation. God understands us better than we understand ourselves. God knows our weaknesses better than we know our weaknesses ourselves. You realize that? He knows our strengths. He knows exactly what we can do or we're capable of doing and can't do. So whatever it is that we set out to do, He knows all about it. Let's start from right there. Look at what Jeremiah said. I'm too young. Oh, sovereign Lord, I said, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. The Lord replied, don't say I'm too young. He sounds like a word of faith, God. Doesn't he? Don't say I'm too young. For you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. Now, isn't that a servant? Go where I send you and say what I tell you. Think about that. Go where I send you. That's not too hard to do. Uh, I want you to go to downtown Beaver this morning. Okay. And say what I tell you to say. Well, whatever he tells you to say, say it. That doesn't seem to be too hard. But he saw himself as too young. He saw himself as too immature and he felt as though that I really can't do this. And so the excuse was not something that meant that he was not wanting or willing to do what God wanted him to do. He felt like he wasn't capable of doing it. And there were reasons or excuses as to why. Now think about this. David, when he was young, wrote many of the Psalms. You don't have to be an older person to write a Psalm. But God gifted him in that manner, and he was able to do it. And so what did he do? He used his abilities, his gifts, and his talents to advance the kingdom of God. Uh, and then also, you've got Timothy. Timothy was a young individual in ministry. And when we say young, there's questions as to exactly how young he might have been. But he could have been immature, just starting off and out in ministry, and that sort of thing. And what did Paul say to him? Don't, despise, don't let man, anyone despise your youth. Your youth has nothing to do with it. I'll be honest with you. When, for me to come down here 44 years ago, almost in August, 44 years, I told the pastor of the church that I would not even consider 
candidating to be the pastor of the church. I said, I just got out of Bible school. I'm wet behind the ears. I'm too young. You know, I'm just saved three years. That's all there is to it. So no. Emphatic no. I will not do it. And I made those awful words after that. And I said, God would have to speak to me in an audible voice like he did to Moses to do that. And he did. And I was shocked and stunned and amazed and thinking, really? Whoa. So, what excuse are we going to give? I'm too young. And God says, doesn't cut it, Jeremiah. Doesn't matter how young you are. Just go where I tell you to go and do what I tell you to do. Look at number two. I'm too old. Moses was 80 years old. Anybody here 80? Go get my people and bring them out of Egypt. Does that sound like something you want to do at age 80? No, I'd rather go to Silver Sneakers. Right? Dear Lord, you want me to put on my combat boots? I'd rather put on my, I can't say kids anymore. <laughs> oh my, he was 80 years old. And God says, go get my people and bring them out. And what about you, Abraham? You're an old man. Yeah, at 100 years old, he fathered Isaac. How about that one? Caleb, what about you? How old was Caleb? 85 years old am I this day. And my strength is today as it was when I was 40 years old. Imagine that. 40 years old. You sent me to spy out the land of Kadesh Barnea. And I went and spied out the land and brought back word as it was in my heart. But the words of my fellow brothers that went with me made the hearts of the people melt. And so we have suffered for 40 years in this wilderness. And at that time, it was five years after that. So 45 years ago, I spied out that land. And 45 years later, I'm 85 years old this day. Maybe it was his birthday. I don't know. But he said, and my strength is to go to today as it was then. It is today. So give me my mountain. Whew. That's a mouthful from an 85-year-old guy, right? 85 years old, there he is. I'm ready to do battle. Let's bring it on. It's pretty bold, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. But I know somebody that had them all beat. Noah's between 525 and 545 years old when God assigned him to build the ark. Now, if you're 523, you might have a, a reason or an excuse. Right? 525 and 545 years old, I want you to build me an ark. What? You heard me. So is too old an excuse? We shouldn't retire. We should refire, right? And I love this next one. But how can God use someone like me? Because I've made so many mistakes in my life. So many, let's say, faults and shortcomings in my life. So how can God use someone like me? Well, look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1. This is from the New Living Translation. This is a trustworthy saying, Paul says to Timothy, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, 
and I am the worst of them all. How about that for a title? Anybody willing to step forward to say I'm the worst of all sinners? Right? And who steps up to the plate? Paul the Apostle. And says I'm the worst sinner of them all. Yeah, because he persecuted the church. He hated Jesus. He hated Christians. He sanctioned their death. He wanted them destroyed. He wanted to uproot Christianity from its roots. Right? That's what he wanted to do. But then he saw Jesus on the Damascus Road. Does it mean he lived a perfect life after that? No. But God took this chief of all sinners and used him to write almost two-thirds of the New Testament. God can use any person at any age, no matter what mistakes we've made. And then what about the mistakes that David made? All we hear about is David, the man after God's own heart. We don't hear about David, the one who sinned with Bathsheba and had her husband murdered to cover up his sin. Yes, David had a genuine heart of repentance, did he not? Read Psalm 51. He repented from his heart. He said, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Now he realized the value, the importance of being empowered by God to stand in the position of the king. He needed that equipping. He needed Do you know this? Do you know that during that one period of year, that, that period of time in his life, he wrote no psalms? No psalms whatsoever. He hung his harp up. He was out of fellowship with God for the longest period of time as a result of that. And then in Psalm 51, after his discussion with Nathan, when Nathan came along and said to him, you're the man who did what you did, what did he do? He genuinely repented from his heart. And God restored to him the joy of his salvation. And then he continued on with his life. Every one of us is human. Every one of us can make a mistake. Every one of us can do wrong. Can you say amen to all that? And we all have our faults, our failures and shortcomings. If God was waiting to get someone who was perfect that he could use, he would find nobody at all to use, right? But thank God he can use people no matter what flaw they might have. And then we can't forget Peter. I don't know him. You don't know Jesus? No, never. No, I don't know. No, nothing to do with him. Really? What happened to him? He repented, didn't he? But he had to convince Jesus that it was true heartfelt repentance and not just because he got caught. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, Lord, you, you, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you really love me? Lord, I've told you, I love you. Then feed my sheep. In other words, show me. Don't just say it. Show me. Serve me. Do something for me. Here's the thing. No matter who we are, if we can't do something, he'll anoint us to do it. He'll equip us to do it. Can you say amen to that? He's not going to ask us to do something that we're incapable of doing. Remember, I can't speak in front of people. Number four, I have nothing to offer. You know what? I had to struggle with that. I came out of a mill crane. I cut out of college two years into it. Didn't know what I wanted to be. I even had a perfect, I had 100% in chemical, I mean in um, engineering. So, at that point, my dad got me a job at the Youngstown Sheet and Tube Company where I made good money. 
And you know, back then the mills were paying more than what you could make even with a, high school, with a college education. Did you know that? That's why many dropped out. I was one of those dropouts. I'm making more money right here. Why should I stay here and spend more money on tuition, et cetera, et cetera? So I, I stopped my education. I was working in the mill crane. And that's when I came to know Jesus. You know my story. I can't even begin. I go back and I rehearse that in my own life. I just think about it. I'm thinking, how many people are out there in seminary studying to be ministers, studying to be pastors, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? And the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the whole earth. He's trying to find somebody to pastor a Christian assembly of Midland at the time. He goes, here's a plan. See that young uh, whippersnapper up there, that short Italian? I'm going to pull him out of that crane. I'm going to send him to Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm going to send him back to Youngstown. He's going to work a little bit with the youth there. And then I'm going to send him to Midland. That's puzzling to me. Why would you do that? I questioned it. What do I have to offer? What do I have to give? I'll be honest with you. I, was a, I got straight A's at, at, at Rhema. I mean, I was really an astute student because when it came to the Bible, came to the Word of God, it was, oh, a hunger and a thirst in my heart like you couldn't even imagine. And if I got one, this one teacher, do I have a moment? Stop the clock for a second. Do I have a moment to meddle? This one teacher, we're not here to trick you. You know, we're not going to give you tricky answers, or questions rather for an, answers to, for you to answer. I said, thank God for that. Because I had straight A's. On this one test, she, write, she says, and doesn't it say in first, it writes out first Corinthians, first Chronicles 514, it says that when they gather together, one heart, one mind, one accord, they offer their voices to praise, praise God. And the glory fell. I said, yep, true. It was second Chronicles, not first Chronicles. I had to repent. <laughs> I wasn't happy with her. It was a trick. You're tricking me by first or second Chronicles. I know it was chapter 5, verse 14, but I didn't look at it close enough in all that. But that's how sincere I was. That's how serious I was in really wanting to know the Word of God. You see, what God saw in me was something that probably He didn't see in a lot of other people. Someone who loved His Word, and He was not going to be influenced by tradition, not going to be influenced by whatever you're learning in these seminaries, which we've heard people call cemeteries. And we say it jokingly, but it's not a joke. Because people go to these seminaries and they walk away atheists. Did you know that? They walk away, I don't believe in God now. Because they explained away. They don't believe in miracles. That's why they, they stopped believing in miracles. They could explain away. How about the one that says that the whole Egyptian army, what they did was they drowned in six inches of water. I love this one. It wasn't a miracle of multiplication of loaves and fishes. It was multiplied because the kid had a big lunch. An Italian lunch can't even be that big. To feed 5,000 people at one time. Or 6,000 people at one time. Right? Right. In other words, he didn't multiply the loaves and the fishes. The kid had a big lunch. And his big lunch could feed 5,000 people. Oh, come on. Really? And you call that education? 
No, so God had to take somebody like me and just say, I want you to go down there and do this because I need your heart. I need your commitment to me. Can you say amen? 1 Peter 4.10 kind of says it all. If you say, I have nothing to offer, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to do what? Serve one another. Do you know what? We all have a gift. We all have a gift. It doesn't matter what it is, how big it is, how small it is. We can all do something. We can all do something to serve the Lord. And no matter how big, no matter how small it is. When you come into church, like this morning you came into church, how many of you appreciated that you had this, the notes in your bulletin? Is it nice that they were there? Do you know how they get there? Nikki Lepiska comes here every morning, or Sunday morning, 8 o'clock, sometimes before 8 o'clock, and she sits right there, and she puts these in sanctuary here in there for you. Michael Davis, he's out there in the narthex. He's here to greet. But while he's out there, what he does is he takes these same things, both sides, right? And he puts them in right there so that you have them. And you know what? That's called serving God. That's called serving people, isn't it? So you see, when we say there's really not an excuse that anybody could use, there is no excuse because there's always something that someone can do. Doesn't matter how big it is, how small it is. Jesus said, give a cup of cold water to somebody in my name. You're going to get a reward for doing that. See, what's happened in our culture and society is this church has taken a back seat. Did you know that? One of the main ways that we could serve God is just by attending church. You realize that? Just go to church and do something. And let's go a little bit further. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10. Whatsoever thy hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. Some have misinterpreted that verse to say that you know, when you die, you're dead. That means you can't do anything. You're, you're, you're annihilated. You don't exist anymore. No, all that is saying is this. You don't get another chance to work for God once you're dead. You only get a chance to work for God while you're alive. And while you're alive, whatever your hand finds to do, just do it. Just do it. Smallest thing, biggest thing. Small things lead to promotion to bigger things. Can you see that? Amen. I, when I first started out, I, you've heard my testimony. I, I got rid of, I didn't play my guitar or anything like that anymore. Uh, I didn't think you could play a guitar in a full gospel Pentecostal church because I didn't come from that kind of a background. I didn't know you could do that. So I set it aside and I wasn't going to use it until I saw that the pastor up there had people up there playing a guitar, an acoustic guitar. I was kind of stunned by that. I don't know how he found out that I played guitar. He asked me to join their praise and worship team if I would play. And I said, sure, I'd be glad to do that. Then he found out that I was uh, having Bible studies in my dad's uh, home. And he asked me to teach a faith class at his church. So it went from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. See, it's a progression. That's how it happens. That brings us to the next uh, point. And anybody can be an usher. Anybody can send a card. Anybody could put a paper in, in a bulletin. Anybody could do any of these little things. 
But remember, it's the heart that's behind it. It's the sincerity. I want to show the living God that I trust, that I'm so grateful for what he's done for me and bringing me from the realms of darkness and eternal death and separation. I'll do anything for him. You notice he didn't anoint me to sing? Sometimes I say, why? Well, <laughs> uh, so thank God for those that are anointed to sing because they have that ability. Okay, look at the next one. And this one is a biggie. I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't think that's anything that he wants to hear on the other side. Look at Matthew 6 and verse 33. But seek ye the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. You talk about a perspective. What does that say? You see, if we don't have time, it's because it's a priority issue. We always have time to do the things that we want to do, right? I'm losing you, right? If it's important to you, you're going to do it, right? Amen. This year, when Ohio State plays Michigan and beats them, I'm going to make that a priority. And I always tell the Lord, no one's allowed to die. No one's allowed to get married. I'm just teasing you. You know that. Whatever happens, happens. But if it's a priority, you'll make time to do it. What I'm saying is, when that game is played, I do make it a priority. Sit down and watch it because I like to watch it. Okay? But if I can't, I can't. So you make time to do what it is that you want to do. And it's the same way when it comes to the things of God. We have to choose what's important to us. And it's important to me to do something, even the smallest thing, for the Lord. To serve Him with my life. Amen? No matter what it is. Now, if God took the time to save us, if God took the time to leave the realm of glory, to come to this earth and spend time on this planet, 33 and a half years, I understand, and to pour himself out completely for every single one of us, he took the time to do that. How much more in response to what he has done for me. Should I take some time out of my busy schedule and do something to advance his kingdom? Whatever it might be. It doesn't have to be within a church either. But I do think this. I think attending church is a, is a, part, is a way of serving God. Because the church has a twofold work. Internal and external. We get the lost saved, the saved established, the established trained, and the trained sent out. It blesses my heart to see ministries like Victory in Cranberry, where Brother Nuzo left here and went there, and is being used mightily of God to reach multitudes of people that maybe we here could never reach. To see, like, um, who else? Jim Montgomery. How Brother Jim Montgomery is out there. He's been to Israel. He's been to other nations. He's preaching and teaching the gospel. He got a starter. You hear him say when he's here. 
You know, there was a life-changing thing that took place way back in 1979 when I came here. I had no idea I would be a part of that. And I'm not saying this because of me. I'm nothing. That's why God, God looks at me. I know I'm nothing, have nothing, know nothing, can do nothing, because I, I just can't do it. He said, but you're going to do it. You know what I told him when he said I'm going to do it? I know I could do two things. Number one, I could love people. Number two, I could teach them what you teach me. That's what I said. I said that to him 44 years ago. And I'll do that. Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Why aren't you offering that? I'm just doing what God said to do. That's enough for me. If he wants me to do something else, he'll tell me to do something else. I'll be glad to do something else. But that's it. That's enough for me. Do you see what I'm, where I'm coming from? No matter who we are, he took the time to do what he did for us. He gave up his son for us. And it's up to us to give up some time for him. As small as it needs to be. But then the next one. I don't know what to do. But Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 21. Look at this. Your ears will hear a word behind you saying this is the way. Walk ye in it. When you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. So in other words, if I'm going in the wrong direction to the right, he'll go back to the left and vice versa. So in other words, even though he doesn't give us the complete picture all the time, he will tell us, this is what I want you to do next. And then, this is what I want you to do next. So if I'm doing what he tells me to do now, if he doesn't tell me to do something next, then I'm going to do exactly what he said to do now. Stay there. It's that simple. Like I said, it doesn't have to be anything humongous and big. One step at a time. That's all that's necessary for any of us. And that brings me to this last point here. Fear. Fear is another excuse that we can use because in the back of our minds, I think people have this idea that if I start doing anything for God, then it'll eventually be that I wind up in Africa. Why does why is everybody choose Africa? Ever since I got saved, that's what I heard. God will send you to Africa. You know? And I'm like, really? So people are afraid because if I show God I want to do something for him, who knows how far we'll go if it takes me all over across the ocean. I mean, my goodness, I don't want to do that. But here's the thing. God knows us. Yes, Tulsa was in Africa, but it might as well have been Africa for me because I'm here in Youngstown, Ohio. That's where I live. That's where my family's at. You know, we're a close-knit family. And I've never left there. I've never gone there. And we didn't really go much on vacations or anything like that because my mom didn't like to travel. She would never get on an airplane. My mother didn't travel out of her base, her Italian basement. When we had a picnic in the backyard because there were mosquitoes. And my mother and mosquitoes do not mix. They don't get along. So we had the picnic outside. We took her picnic food down in the... Now remember, the Italian basement is not your, any, any kind of basement. It looks like you're upstairs kitchen, you know, living room and all that. My dad put all that together down there. Beautiful. He put it all, all up. That's when paneling was big. He put paneling up and all that and drop ceiling and everything. He built the cupboards himself and all that. He built this long table for the family. You can't have a long table for this Italian family, see, when they all came together and all that. My mother wouldn't walk outside. My mother wouldn't sit on the front porch. Didn't like bugs. Okay. So, when the Lord tells me to go to Tulsa, Oklahoma, 
She's like, what are you doing? <laughs> I got to do what God said to do. And I'll be honest with you. The first thought in my mind is I might end up in Africa. <laughs> I was. And I said to her, Mom, I don't know if I'll ever come back here or anything. I said, I might end up in Africa. I don't know, but I know I have to do what God said to do, and he told me to do it. That's commitment, what you say? I'm not saying that like I'm saying to brag on myself. I'm just saying this was something I was doing unconsciously. It was something I was doing out of a heart that just got saved, that loved God, that knew God. I was so thankful to God that I wasn't going to go to hell and suffer in the lake of fire. And so I pulled up my Bible. I listened to Brother Jose. I start remembering the scriptures, you know, memorizing the scriptures and all that, quoting the scriptures over and over again. I came, when I first came down here at the church in that small little church, downtown Midland, 7th and Penn, one of the first times I walked in there, I'm like, what in the world am I doing here? I got on my knees. I looked up at the stained glass that was in front of me because it was a, behind me, like right now, would be back there. I'm looking at it. Whew. And I just said, Lord, I can do two things. I could teach what you teach me, and I could love. I can do those two things. And I didn't get up until I probably learned to quote Revelation chapter 5. I saw on the right hand of him a book written within on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, saying, Who is worthy to take the book and loose the seals thereof? No man in heaven, earth, or beneath the earth was found worthy to take the book, neither looked thereon. And I wept much. And the angel said to me, Weep not. Behold, when the elder, behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, he's prevailed to take the book and loose the seals thereof. I beheld in the midst of the throne, so the lamb, as he had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth in all the earth. And he came, took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. When he took the book, the four and twenty elders fell down with the, uh, before the lamb, having every one of them hopes, harps and golden vows full of orders, which are the prayers of saints. And he sung a new song saying, worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. To take the book and loose the seals thereof. For thou hast redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every kindred, tongue, and people, and nation. You made us kings and priests before our God. We shall reign in all the earth. And I beheld, heard the voice of many angels around a throne. The number was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Saying with a loud voice, blessing and honor and glory to him that sits upon the throne. The Lamb forever. And every creature in heaven and earth and in the sea and such and beneath the earth. And such as are in the sea. And all that are in the midst heard I saying, blessing. Honor, glory, and power be to the Lamb. And the four and twenty elders fell down and said, Amen. I just was on my knees in that place thinking, it's all about you. It's all about you. Nothing to do with me. And that was the beginning of just like me knowing that, Lord, how do I know, how can I do this? I didn't know how I could even remember scriptures like that. I didn't. And then I went off to the 91st Psalm. The whole thing there. It was just a matter of just pouring myself out. Come on, praise and worship team. Pouring myself out. Knowing that it's all of God. Not of me. It's all of God. Not of man. 
It has nothing to do with us. All he wants is availability, not necessarily ability. Are you hearing this? Do something small and God will kick in. Look at Isaiah 41.10. Fear thou not. See, fear is not an excuse. Why? I'm with you. Don't be dismayed. Don't lose heart and be discouraged. You look in a mirror and you think that you have nothing to offer. There's no value. Low self-esteem, etc. No, I am your God. Did you hear that? Say, He is my God. Say, you are my God. Whose God is He? He is your God. He is my God. My God is not Buddha. My God is not Confucius. My God, and I can name them all, my God is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who raised Him from the dead on the third day, who showed Himself to be alive and the victor over death, over hell, over the grave. And He is my God and He is my Father. And He's your God and He's your Father. So fear not. I am with thee. Be not dismayed. I am your God. Yes, I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness.